Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. All right, so today we're talking about post-pandemic organizational leadership, what to expect and do. There's going to be an end to this pandemic. Someday, someday, hopefully sooner rather than later. I think most of us, if we went back a year ago, we would none of us would have predicted where we are right now, of course. We may be in this for a, a little bit longer. It, it, we can't predict the end, but it will happen at some point. And organizations are already starting to think about or should be thinking about what that trans- transition to something, you know, new normal, whatever you want to call it, after COVID starts to get under control is going to look like. And so today we're going to talk about, you know, what are some of those practices that organizations have adopted in recent months uh, that might stay in place? We're going to talk about what might change and some things that leaders can do right now to start thinking about, to start preparing for post-pandemic realities. Yeah. So one of the practices that won't stay in place is probably the pajamas from the waist down uniform a lot of us have been wearing. <laughs> you, you've made that an art form. <laughs> what is it you say? You say you got your daytime pajamas and you got your nighttime pajamas? That's right. That's right. Right, right. So uh, you and I differ in that regard. I, I, I still throw on the jeans. You still but... put your pants on. <laughs> I, I do. I do. One leg at a time, just like everybody else, I guess. But okay. So why don't we talk about some of these practices that might stay in place? You know, I think the most obvious one or the biggest change that has happened is this uh, this increased tolerance for, acceptance of, and need for flexible work schedules, remote work. That, you know, within a matter of a couple of weeks, people started doing that in mass, right? Um, the adaptability that many organizations and people displayed, you know, if you think back to last March, April, May here in the United States and different timeframes, other countries, but uh, really has been remarkable. So I think, you know, this increased tolerance for flexible work, I think there there should be uh, and maybe some of that that'll stay in place. Now, some organizations may have a backlash against that and say, all right, COVID's under control. Get back here. Right. We want to see you. But uh, I do think there will be some of that that stays in place. I mean, we were talking to so many different people, like senior people in large organizations. And they said, you know, if we were going to take our workforce home, it would have taken like two and a half years and millions and millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. But we did it in a week for a hundred grand or (laughs) or something. You know, (laughs) it was like, you know, so some of that, hopefully some of those practices of organizational agility and not paralysis analysis, all that kind of stuff stay in place because sometimes it just takes you too long and you got a team of project managers and everybody's got to have meetings about the meetings about the meetings. You know, some of what we've seen is you just can't triage that well and you got to trust your employees. So I hope, Ben, that employee trust and empowerment is one of those things that stay. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do too. Uh, because, you know, when you have more of your workforce, and this isn't true in every industry, of course, but in many industries, you got a lot of people working from home. Um, you have to trust them to, uh, to a larger degree. Now, some organizations have various types of 
monitoring in place. And we've talked about that on the podcast previously, but uh, you do have to have a higher level of trust. And I hope that that stays. I hope that we have a continued focus a, a little bit more on outcomes and results versus just being there. Um, now that there's, it's a mixed bag though. You know, we do, we do like FaceTime. There, there's a benefit to it, but I think that's something that should stick around. Um, but you know, since we mentioned employee monitoring, I think there will be some, you know, additional, um, considerations of that and looking at that a little bit more closely from both a legal and kind of a, a business policy perspective. Uh, there's a good article that we'll post a link to in the show notes that was posted, um, on the society for human resource management's website. And, uh, you know, this article was written by um, uh, Brian Kropp, is his name, uh, Chief of Research for the Gartner HR Practice. And, uh, you know, he mentions a couple different things, and I think some of them are worth mentioning here. One is, you know, new regulations will limit employee monitoring. And he cites some research that Gartner did that less than 50% of employees trust their organization with their data, Right. Yeah, they're they're not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out people are actually kind of smart sometimes, um, you know, and 44 percent don't receive any information regarding the data collected about them. So, you know, at the state and local level, uh, at least according to um, this author, uh, might see some more regulations around that um, organizations that adopt more clearer policies around that. Yeah. So I worked at Dell Computers many, many years ago. Uh, as a young person and answering phone, you know, you know <laughs> thanks for calling Dell. What computer can I build for you today? I mean, these were the people that needed help building a computer. They couldn't just click what they wanted on the web mm. and they would monitor any time, you know, let's say you had a bad cold. You needed to put pause and blow your nose so you don't sound like a sicko on the phone. Or if you need to go to the bathroom or how long your lunch break was to the minute. Mm -hmm. And if you, I mean, and this was, year, I mean, decades ago, right? And uh, organizations like Amazon have productivity metrics. Of course, they got to do same-day shipping for some people. Mm -hmm. You know, I, when I lived in Nashville, they had same-day delivery. And so there's going to be a line. We haven't really had to talk about it because it's not as widespread yet. But if we have more flexibility, employers are going to want to watch some of that, which, which brings us to, because that's kind of a, you know, is the person... Should my employer know how many times I take a bio break, you know, <laughs> during the day? You know, like that's a little bit awkward. There's going to be some individual rights that probably come out of this, which brings us to this other thing. It's companies, they already are doing this. Sometimes they're softball shots like uh, Absolute Vodka making a rainbow uh, vodka bottle during Pride Month or Target just selling rainbow shoes during Pride Month or something. But companies are going to start taking stances on political debates and societal issues. Well, I think we're already seeing that, um, you know, as, as you mentioned, and, and some, sometimes it might just be virtue signaling. It might just be a display by an organization trying to say, look, we, we are trying to keep in touch with what's going on in, you know, the, the culture or whatever. Um, and, and other organizations, you know, probably actually um, are trying to take a stand for, for various reasons that they feel are important. Uh, you know, getting to this idea of pandemic uh, leadership and what organizations are doing and maybe are considering is, you know, thinking about requirements for vaccinations within organizations and trying to, um, you know, educate and, and, and help employees in that regard. 
Yeah, so I live in Park City, Utah, and we're actually below the vaccine threshold. Forget about the COVID vax. Kids, the kid population is below the herd immunity amount. Because some of these... You mean like for measles and stuff? Yeah, because some of these wealthy jack wagons are like, I don't want to put something unnatural in my body or some non-scientific rated stinking thinking. And they can go find a doctor that can write them a note to say their kid doesn't doesn't get it. And and this is a bad handshake. But when you're looking at organizational health, welfare, and safety, I mean, we're in the military, Ben. If we got a vaccine, do they say, hey, do you want to take this? (laughs) No, you like line up and put your arm out, you know, and and you get it and drive on with your leg mission out there, right? So uh, for those not in the Army, uh, leg missions are any missions not airborne. So... Anyway, so you're doing your leg mission, but companies now have a problem. And I'm in a lot of HR forums on Facebook and Reddit and other places just to kind of keep a pulse of what's going on. And there's a lot of questions. How can we incentivize vaccinations? Um, Can we go ahead and pay our hourly employees the amount of time to drive out? Can we bring vaccination on site? I mean, every every facet of what is going to go on is being explored. But one of the things that's common to all of these and a big misstep that orgs make is you can't phone it in. If you're going to require vaccines, you better daggone know about, is it Pfizer or Moderna? And what is it about? And be ready to answer questions. If you're going to take a stance on LGBT issues, God, how many big organizations have whiffed with like many million dollar advertising campaigns on or minority issues and just freaking i mean it's a t-ball hit could be but they whiff you've got to know what you're talking about before you step into these political and social debates i would agree with that and i also would add the caveat with things like health and things like vaccination requirements and how you're handling that uh neither chris nor i are employment attorneys i would recommend that you do so with, uh, you know, do make your decisions and your guide your communications in close consultation with an employment attorney to make sure that you're staying, uh, you know, in, in line with the law um, in terms of privacy requirements and everything that you can and cannot do as an employer. And some of these things can differ by state. You know, I think California is the, the most um, notorious among, you know, the, in, in terms of HR and employment laws being different. Uh, from other uh, states, but uh, get out there, get the legal advice you need to do that. Um, and don't wait on that, right? Have, have something, you know, this is kind of jumping ahead to what you can do now, but start thinking about that right now. And I mean, vaccine vaccinations are going on right now. So you, you, you better be thinking about that. Um, you know, another thing that I think may stay in place is, you know, during this era of more working from home and having a lot of meetings virtually is, you know, we have seen, uh, people's lives. We have had a direct window, a direct webcam into people's uh, homes, into their personal lives. We've seen the dog come running into the the picture frame. We've we've uh, seen the little kid come in, and all of those types of of things that are you know it used to be a lot easier to keep all that separate from your professional life. Um, but you know, hey, you we have personal lives, and and that is. I think a different mindset, perhaps, that employers are going to need to be aware of. I think it's it's a good, you know, don't forget about that. Once you eventually do go back to working more in person, if that's what your organization's doing, 
don't forget about the fact that, hey, <laughs> that, that dog and that, that kid that the employee has, they still exist, right? Your, your employee is still dealing with those types of things. And, um, you know, to the degree that you can support your employees in those regards and be mindful of it, I think it's just good leadership. Yeah. You want thriving people that have wonderful intellectual and home lives and all those. If all that's going right, they bring a vibrancy to your organization. And so why wouldn't you support and curate it? You know, mm -hmm. who wants to be working with everybody goes back to a sterile loft apartment with, you know, one cup in the cupboard. <laughs> I mean, if you're a one cup in the cupboard person, great. But we can't have everybody be a one cup in the cupboard person. So another thing that I think is going to be around to stay is uh, Zoom meetings, right? Uh, we have found other types of computer-mediated communication. We have this ability and we've gotten used to it. Even, even those of us in academia have gotten okay at it, right? Um, we've realized that, hey, we can do this and we can be somewhat productive with them, it, you know, and, and it also eliminates the travel needs. Uh, it, it can be a, a good way to meet as long as we don't overdo it and we, you know, stack up everybody's schedule with Zoom meeting to Zoom meeting all day long. I think that is here to stay for some activities. And that, I think that's a good thing. Um, it provides some flexibility in terms of geography uh, and it allows people to, uh, to still meaningfully participate in their work regardless of where they are. Yeah. I mean, keep the Zoom meetings. If you need, have you ever tried to get some work done on your house or, you know, the internet provider has to come down and it's like, your your appointment window is from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. And you're like, oh. And they show up at 1.30. Oh, okay, I really have my day back. You know, sometimes you just need to sit at the house for the plumber to come, you know, like your pipes are leaking and destroying your house. Well, just phone it in. Like it's no, well, you're going to have to take some personal leave time. Why? I can just take my laptop and Zoom, Zoom and work. We're used to this schedule we mm -hmm. should provide more flexibility for that stuff, especially as the work week has, I mean, we're working longer hours than in the past in some industries, right? Mm -hmm. And so we need time for those kind of admin features. You got to get your teeth clean so they don't rot out your face. Yeah. And that, so come on. <laughs> and speaking of keeping <laughs> your teeth clean so you don't, they don't rot out of your face, I think there is going to be an increased focus on and at least awareness of employee health. Uh, you know, many organizations have had this for a long time uh, and, you know, different types of wellness programs. Some of them are better than others, but, you know, an increased emphasis on, hey, you know, offering flu shots, uh, encouraging people to wash their hands. You know, another thing that I think is I hope stays in place is this idea of, hey, if you're sick, like, don't come to work. You know, it, it is cracking me up when I think back to those not those day quilt commercials. <laughs> I, we were playing where, these I know, and we, prepping we were, for the show. <laughs> well, oh it's my like, God. It's like some dude, some dude who's like coughing and sneezing and just like, you know, feeling terrible. And it's like, oh, well, guess what? You can still go to work. Just take some of our magic medicine and you can go in and just, you know, breathe all over everybody and deliver a killer presentation. So uh, I, I hope that that norm is is shattered um you know you can you can take the day quill but just stay at home and, and, and so you don't so you're not blowing your nose during the zoom meeting if you want but uh we've realized that hey if we're going to live together in a modern society where you know we have contagious diseases that just come and go 
Um, when you're sick, you know, it is important to stay home and, you know, even mask wearing when you are feeling ill. This was a norm in Asian countries and cultures for a long time uh, prior to COVID. I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if that continues a little bit. I would hope that it continues a little bit. I think it's a good thing that people do that. Yeah. And, you know, during the pandemic and the shift in the economy and a lot of demand, companies got super lean. Now, mm. some of that, they just had to lean out to the demand that they had. And there was furloughs and a, a whole bunch of disaster things as far as for people's employment. Um, but one of the things, you know, books like The Lean Startup, and there's all this stuff about lean thinking. But organizations that are in a successful business sector that get a lot of cash tend to, at some point, lose that lean focus. So if, if you've had to cut back, or if you're a mid-sized enterprise that had to maybe lean out some expenses, be really strategic and ensure there's no point in time or reason you can't think of yourself as a lean startup now as we're starting up post-pandemic. Keep that fiscal discipline as you grow. Because what happens is we bloat out, and then we have a business cycle, and then a bunch of people lose their jobs. Well, that's, that's yanking people around. But if people were already lean and had some reserves, they could um, survive better, and there'd be less of an employment delta and gap there. Right, right. So don't lose those best practices or those good practices that you've had in place around discipline, uh, f fiscal discipline, and so forth. I do think we're going to see less travel for executives. Right. <laughs> um, that's that's certainly There's some cheering there. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, you know, kind of going hand in hand with our ability to meet virtually. And that that is probably a good thing um, fiscally and uh, also allows us to, to be around our families a little bit more. So, yeah, if you're a one cup cupboard person and traveling less, you might have to meet somebody and get a second cup. <laughs> Imagine that. All right. So why don't we turn our focus towards some things that might change in this a post-pandemic type of business environment? What are some things that you've been thinking about, Chris? Yeah. So, you know, everybody goes into triage unless you're Amazon and everybody's ordering stuff at home. You know, you're on an accelerated growth path, more of the same. But for a lot of people, maybe you got a little lax on productivity metrics. You know, your software mm -hmm. developing and, and the deadlines didn't didn't stay as tight or or something. Eventually, as things creak back to normal, the the competition's good. If you've got two companies equally placed, the thing that they went on is productivity. Lots of times there's not differentiation in their product offering. And so what happens in those organizations? Managers get reviewed and rated on how much productivity they can drive out of their team. Now, that's maybe laxed up, but, you know, what's going to change coming out of this pandemic? We're going to see a lot more of that productivity drive. And it's important that organizations manage and equip their managers to do that ethically. I've seen orgs that they drive so much productivity that people start doing unethical stuff on the side and they get a big old lawsuit. You know, mm -hmm. you can only bleed a rock so much, guys. And as people come out of this pandemic, make sure you're not shedding good talent by being a taskmaster. I mean, some jobs require task mastering. If you ever work in a network operations center where you have to observe security of networks physically, we call them eyes on glass jobs. Like they have very specific metrics and you're going to see that increase. Just make sure, be respectful of your people, prep them with communications, right? That's great. 
You know, I also think that there's going to be some different ways in which organizations look at hiring, look at uh, recruiting, for example. Um, you know, I was also reminded of, you know, thinking about this, this idea of uh, an employer brand, right? So, you know, kind of going beyond your, the brand around your product or service, there's also a brand that you create as an organization in terms of, are you a good place for uh, employment, right? Would someone want to work at your organization? <laughs> right. And I, I remembered specifically, this would have been months ago, you know, almost a year ago, probably, you know, maybe nine months ago. On one of our podcasts, Chris, we talked about how, hey, like pandemic is here. How you treat your employees now is something that they will remember. And I think that that's important because, you know, you're not gonna be able to fix that if you screwed it up back in the day. But, oh, man. Um, you know, I think people, when they're, if they have options for where they can work, they're probably going to be thinking about, hey, like, how did this organization handle the pandemic? How do they treat their employees? Um, and that's a very important consideration for a job seeker if you have options. Like, sometimes you just got to take a job. But, uh, you know, as an organization, as you're starting to move back towards more in-person work or starting to make some other types of changes as the pandemic starts to come under control, uh, keep in mind that your employees are watching and your potential employees are watching and they hear from their neighbors who work at your organization, their friends. And so that's an important consideration that you should be keeping in mind as you're going through these changes. It will affect or could affect your employer brand. Yeah. And if you're looking to work for a small org, these best places to work in every city, I can't tell you how many small companies I see like, all right, we're sending out the survey. Everybody fill it out that we're awesome to work for or die. <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's it's big. Don't believe those those lists. Talk to somebody there. Go on to Glassdoor, especially for the larger organizations. You can kind of get a sense, you know, which, oh, well, this guy's just a disgruntled numb nuts. You know, uh, this guy's good, you know, stuff like that. Um, mm -hmm. But be, be careful of those small business awards because a lot of them, you know, they'll join a professional group. They pay money to join. There's enough awards to hand out so they can all go on to LinkedIn and tout themselves for something. Um, <laughs> do, do the actual, re that's a pro insider's tip. Do the actual research there. Right, right. You know, I do think we are going to see, and we're already starting to see, people coming back into the workplace. We're going to see that for a variety of reasons. But one reason is that, you know, we are all to some degree social creatures, you know, um, and, you know, that there's certainly some individual differences there. Chris, you are far more social than I am. Uh, I think the pandemic's probably been harder on you than on me because, um, you know, I, I, I'm okay with some hermit life. But um, even I, <laughs> even I miss going out and being in front of people. I miss being in front of students physically and, and having class that way. I miss working with people, you know, um, in larger groups. So, you know, people do have this craving for getting back together in person. And I think organizations need to be aware that that is a human drive that we all have to be social with each other. And we may need to temper some of that enthusiasm, right? So that, uh, you know, we got to ease back in. Hey, just because we're just because we're here doesn't mean you need to go hug everybody, even though you miss them. No, I'm hugging everybody, Ben. <laughs> I am doing it. I'm gonna like no I'm gonna hug and I'm gonna say, like, 
can I just pet your arm a little bit during this meeting? This is going to be great. Thank, oh, thanks. Speaking of HR disasters. <laughs> <laughs> Good grief. Yeah. So I just think, you know, helping to uh, provide some communication about how it's going to, what it should look like and uh, being mindful that people do have this tendency. Right. Yeah. And I think our recruitment's going to change. Mm. Organizations that are like, hey, we can have this portion or all of our workforce remote. HR functions and the recruiting functions with the orgs are going to have to start learning how to conduct not-in-my-backyard resume searches, <laughs> how to interview somebody only through the web and developing expectations, better job descriptions, um, and how to list um, locally and nationally. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, what should I do? Oh, I heard this cool, you know, job board site that advertised on my favorite podcast. Um, you know, I'm going to go with that. You're really going to have to get to know the landscape of, Hey, what cities do I like to recruit from for the talent mm -hmm. stack I need? You know, you know, some towns are a .NET town. Some towns are more a Java town, you know, and being able how to do that, that's going to require some tooling, retooling of HR and recruiting functions, and also retooling of training of managers to be able to, function that way time zones start to click in and some of our smaller mid-sized organizations haven't dealt with that stuff yet right right you know i think another thing that might change as we move towards a post-pandemic reality for organizations is that you may have organizations that fall into some of those old bad habits you know um some of the bad habits around wasting time having meetings just for meetings sake even though there's probably that happening on zoom too but um you know doing things that that they really aren't productive, uh, that are just, you know, making people, for example, show up when they don't actually need to show up for things. Uh, that I think those that that's certainly a, a temptation that some organizations may have, some leaders may have. Uh, and we got to be wary about that. Yeah. The meeting where it's just about affirming hierarchies and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> right. Awesome. So, you know, we've talked about some things that some practices that I think might stay in place. Um, and, you know, as we mentioned, I, I think so many organizations have done an amazing job uh, being agile in this uh, in these past um, in this past year. Uh, and then that's a good thing. And I think HR departments have, you know, many of them had to turn into public health departments. I think HR professionals out there doing um, some have done some amazing work from the people I've talked with over the past um, you know, nine to 12 months, it's been really challenging for them. Uh, but I think, you know, they've done some amazing stuff. So some good practices that may stick around some things that might change. Why don't we focus now on what are some things that leaders can do in their organizations when they're starting to think about and starting to lead that transition back to a, uh, a post pandemic type of, of environment. And one thing I, I, I think is important to note is, you know, I, I don't think it's all about just getting back to normal. Like there's this tendency for us to like want to go back to way the way things were, what was familiar. I think, you know, it's so cliched, but there is a new normal now in terms of how many organizations are going to operate. But let's talk about, so what are some things leaders can do? Okay, so you're transitioning back. It's hard. One of the things that orgs struggle with is assessing demand. Do I just bring everybody back? Maybe some of those people that are furloughed. So we go, no, nobody does that. You're kind of tiptoeing to see how is the economy doing? What aggregate demand do you have in right products? 
And how do you stop? Which can be frustrating because you're just, you know, especially if you're at the executive level, you're just screaming your head off. I want to get back to the old earnings, you know? <laughs> you know I'm tired of waiting at 80% of what I was or 50%, you know, and you just want to throw desks at windows and all kinds of stuff. All right. So what are you going to do with that frustrated energy that's driving your employees and direct reports and your secretary nuts? Well, first of all, don't throw desks at windows. That's my first recommendation. Yes, that chairs, they're lighter. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. <laughs> yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, you did. Don't throw chairs or desks. I, I could pick up a desk. Probably not you. No, I'm yes, just hey, uh, so, This is true. If you see this guy's, Ben has guns. What what size kettlebell are you throwing now? I mean, I I have a, a 106 pound kettlebell that I use yeah, for a variety Go of jump audience. in a lake. <laughs> <laughs> it's the beast. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, so don't don't throw chairs, don't throw desks, don't throw any. Actually, there are very few jobs unless you're you know playing a sport where throwing things is probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah, there's not a huck the baby contest at the Highland Games, right? Oh, good. So, great. <laughs> so so listen, you got this energy, right? Like you got to throw the 106 pound kettlebell like Ben does energy. <laughs> Because earnings aren't where you want it to be. Yet you're, and you're worried about your competitors. All right, so here's where you put your frustrated energy. And actually, I think everything we're going to talk to th- falls under this auspice. Mm. You've got competitive pieces of your org that have nothing to do with directly pushing product out the door. I mean, at the end, you got to have a sale of something, service, mm-hmm. product, whatever. But one of those things is culture. Culture yeah is king so this is a time to spruce up your culture yeah yeah and and i mean this is you you probably have already gone through some cultural shifts within your organization and i encourage our listeners to go check back you know some of our early up we've done a lot of episodes on culture but you know culture refers to some of those deep norms those kind of unspoken ways that we behave in organizations the way we talk to each other the you know the, the ways in which we address authority and and all those types of things you know it's kind of the personality of your organization and i think it, it leaders right now would be very well served by keeping this idea in the back of their head that hey culture 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 we have to create a culture in our organization or encourage those parts of our already existing organizational culture that make this transition back to a post-pandemic reality better, not worse, right? And one way to do that is remember that everybody in your organization probably is a little bit concerned about things, and you need to be sensitive to that. You need to be um, supportive of their concerns, right? Yeah, so you're sensing you're mad about product, culture. And one of those pieces is psychological safety. Mm. You know, I see too many execs or managers and all that kind of stuff trying to do it on their own. Okay, I'm going to sense what's going on. All right, this is the master plan. And everybody's rolling their eyes. Like, man, this plan is like maybe 40% good, 40% jacked, and 20% I don't care. You know, for a 100% garbage plan. Right. <laughs> you know, the combined, right? It's like, how many pieces of mud do you want on your cheeseburger? None, right? So you, you can't do it on your own. One of those things, you need to create a psychologically safe culture so that you can have involvement from your people. This cannot be a unilateral action, top-down command and control. If you want to go fast and shifting your culture and getting people back in-person work, hybrid, or whatever your strategy is, 
you're going to need feedback from everywhere, everybody that's out there. Yeah. You know, and, and this is not just an idea that we are speculating about. This is an idea that is also supported by some hot off the press research coming from the Journal of Applied Psychology. There's a, and they've done a number of um, COVID related types of uh, special issues and other articles. And a lot of research has come out, you know, looking at how organizations can make this transition back. But there's this one article in particular that, that caught our eye. And the title of this article is Plug Back Into Work Safely. Job Reattachment, Leader Safety Commitment, and Job Engagement in the COVID-19 Pandemic. And this was written by uh, the lead author was Zenyu Wan, who is at the uh, in the Department of Managerial Studies at the University of Illinois at Chicago. We'll certainly put a link to this in the show notes. Um, but what they did is they 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 collected a bunch of data um, over a few different time points from different people. Um, actually, in Wuhan, China, the epicenter, the original epicenter of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, where a lot of people are, were starting to already return back to work. And they looked at this, these different variables, right? That's what we do in, in research, we, especially quantitative research. We're looking at different things that vary, things that we can measure. And they looked at a couple different things. They looked, first of all, at this idea of job reattachment. That's what we're talking about from uh, you know, going back to work. And job reattachment... Uh, is defined in this article. They're quoting some other research, but they call it the the process of mentally reconnecting to one's work after a non-work period, right? We all go through these these reattachment periods, right? So if you've been, you know, if you're like Chris and you've been a ski bum for a while, when the snow melts, guess what? You got to come back to work, buddy. And so you got to go through <laughs> reattachment, right? Well, yeah, we haven't had much snow this year. Darn you, climate change. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Everybody knows what that is. You know, it's 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 that times 10, that shift from vacation back to work. Right. Mm -hmm. um, now, parents have an easier time because, you know, it's it's a disaster getting everything packed and traveling. This vacation's over. And then you finally get to the beach or wherever. And it's like oh, seven days, five days of oh, and then you get into a flow and it's good. Now, you get the jarring yelling and screaming on the way back home. So you maybe make that transition back to work easier, <laughs> right? But if you've had some time, and just imagine a time before children, if you, if you have kids, or if you're somebody out there that's been on a nice long vacation, and then that day before, you kind of have that dread. Maybe you get a little bit of anxiety. You're thinking about all the things because you're shifting into that work mode, right? Yeah. You're preparing yourself emotionally for a shift in norms, social performance, expectations, all those kinds of things. Leaders need to make it psychologically safe for people to do that, maybe have some touch points. And, but as individuals, we also have to prepare ourselves for those shifts. Right. And so that's essentially what job reattachment is. You can do this better or worse. And doing it better is by preparing yourself mentally, emotionally, and so forth in order to be ready to get back into, into work mode. And what they looked at in this study was the connection between that process of getting back into work mode and job engagement, right? And engagement is, you know, being fully involved in your work um, with some, you know, vigor and being absorbed and dedicated to what you're trying to get done. Certainly something that you would want your employees to be uh, experiencing on the workplace. And what they, what they looked at and then what they found research support for was that, this connection between job reattachment and job engagement, it's real, right? So the better you kind of reattach, the more engaged you're going to be. But they also found that that 
process or that relationship between job reattachment and job engagement was stronger when you had leaders who had a strong commitment for safety, right? And that's exactly what we were just talking about. So leaders, be committed to the safety of your employees because it's going to help people get, you know, go, who are going through this reattachment process to be more engaged in their work. And there are a lot of positive outcomes from engagement. What they looked at in this study was, you know, less withdrawal from your work, more PPP uh, use. So people actually using the personal protective equipment that they're given and need uh, and certainly performing at a higher level. So some research support here. We'll put a link to it in the show notes for this idea of being a safety-minded leader, being a leader who cares about it. And this also ties back to something we talk about a lot, which is the idea of organizational support and the perception that employees have. You know, to the degree that people feel like their leaders care about their well-being and value their contributions, there's nothing bad that's going to come from that. Like that, that is a good thing. So be a caring, be a uh, attentive type of leader. And that that will guide you well during this transition to a post-pandemic workplace. Yeah, you guys should be focused on this all the time anyway. But if you're waiting on those earnings and you're (laughs) driving your direct reports nuts because you're just like, where's the earnings? Well, this is a place you can look under the sofa for some coins. Better employee engagement, all this stuff is going to be helpful. And, And that being said, don't grow weary in doing good. The same good stuff. And a normal time is still good now. You know, like when is a glass of water on a hot day bad? (laughs) Never. So stuff like encouraging and modeling adaptability and resilience, talking about it. If you're a leader, you might acknowledge, you know, now that I'm back here and I'm having a hard time myself, you know, acknowledging some of those things and communicating those as leaders help give social permission for people to start, you know, tangibly dealing with those issues themselves. Yeah, that's well said. You know, I think um, continuing the good stuff and not forgetting the lessons. You know, we talked about this early on. We said, you know, as organizations are going through a transition towards, you know, dealing with the pandemic head on, we said there's going to be a lot of stuff that you learn. Don't forget it. Write these things down. Take some lessons learned. And there's still time to do that, I think, as an organization. But building up that collective knowledge around what works and what doesn't is great. And one thing that you can do, I think, um, from kind of a a leadership perspective is reinforce the fact that, hey, all of you employees, you've been through a lot. And you can use this time of that you've gone through. You've made it through something tough. And that should give you additional hope for the future. One thing that we know about individual adaptability, agility, kind of at an individual level and resilience is that people who have been through things and made it out on the other end, been through tough things, who have faced adversity and make it out, they are able and better equipped to face adversity in the future, right? So this is a great way to say, look, we can do a lot together because we've done it. Yeah. And, you know, this is one of those things where companies struggle with imagination. Mm. Um, You know, our friend Mike talks about doing the work of an emergency without the emergency. Well, we've actually had an emergency all hands on deck. So we need to solidify those lessons learned. But then we also need to keep in mind, and, and this is, and we learn about this in the military. You know, you take fire on the left. That doesn't mean you stop looking at the right because somebody could come at you from the right. So just because you're an org 
and you hit a pandemic and everything goes, and maybe some of you were, your orgs were stretched harder than others, but this is a time to, like you said, build that resilience, but don't fall asleep now, only focused on this problem, i.e. maybe getting back to the earnings of yesteryear in the same way and managing the pandemic and washing your hands when you get to work. Put your thinking cap on, your imagination cap, and start saying, what could happen to us now, despite all this going? What are mm. competitors doing, right? Vigilant, be vigilant. When can you not be vigilant? Never. <laughs> the answer is never. You'll be asleep at the wheel and something will happen. So this is a great place for you guys to focus. Hey, maybe you weren't vigilant for this type of, you know, what do they call it? A black swan event, you know, mm -hmm. type thing. But, but be vigilant for other stuff. Like, Better to be caught off guard and having been with your thinking cap on than caught off guard and be like, well, you know, nobody was really thinking. We we're kind of just snoozing and going. Yeah. Yeah. I think doing some scenario planning and encouraging well, what psychologists call counterfactual thinking, right? What could happen? What might happen? Uh, that's, that's, you know, and that you can do that retrospectively about things that did happen and what, what might have happened if you did things differently, uh, but also about thinking about things in the future. Uh, can be really powerful and it's necessary because that's going to broaden your mental um, picture or spectrum of what possibly might happen or could happen and start to help you be ready in those instances. So absolutely be vigilant. Uh, don't, don't fall into complacency mode. You know, I don't think, you know, I, I would, I would say most organizations probably aren't there right now because they're still dealing with a lot. Um, but when that all starts going away, when there becomes more of a sense of normality and it's like, whew, you know, deep breath, things are good. Be, be wary of complacency. Stay vigilant. Yeah, you'll, you'll lose productivity in those sag moments and that they'll just relax into a new normal. And, you know, we know from the military driving that, you know, one mission finishes, the next mission's kicking. So when you start to come to the end of a project, when you start to, okay, this is what our transition time's going to, you can even demark those times. It's like, all right, we've been five days back in the office. Time to get on with it. You know, mm -hmm. you can start setting that vision. We'll get on with what? Well, that's where you have to have that vision, that plan for your team, your plan for your org, what you're going to accomplish in training, strategy, getting product out the door, all those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, another whole bucket of activities that I think falls in this category of continuing the good stuff is around this focus on health and well-being of our people. You know, so as we record this, I'm actually getting ready to do a, um, a, a it's called the Navy Senior Leader Seminar. It's a um, leadership development program for senior officers and, and other senior leaders in the military, um, particularly the Navy. And a big focus of that program actually is on health and wellness. And there's a reason for that, right? Because it really matters for our own cognitive functioning. It matters for, you know, how we're going to perform at work. Um, and that's true of whether or not you're a leader or not, whether regardless of where you are in the hierarchy. So I hope that people have a, a renewed sense around how important that is. And, uh, you know, some new norms, we've already mentioned this, but some new norms around coming to work when you're sick, don't just take a bunch of Tylenol and show up and spread your germs around and things like that. And perhaps a little bit more tolerance and, and acceptance, and maybe even people feeling like there's an obligation to, hey, boss, like can't come. I'm, I'm not, I, I, you know, woke up feeling X, Y, or Z. I'm going to work from home. We have this in place. I'm going to do it this way. Uh, and, and not being as kind of, 
know, don't just don't just dayquil yourself and and go in. Yeah, We've it's all, a conspiracy. I mean... <laughs> yeah, the the dayquil. Now this is a conspiracy we can use, right? Not the bad ones that hurt. Yeah, oh boy. you know, I feel sick, so I take dayquil to do my you know work and limit the symptoms. Now everybody else gets sick, and now they have to take dayquil to come back in and do. It's a dayquil <laughs> conspiracy. Don't but don't buy into it. Let's let's be sane and better about how we view sickness and the workplace. Yeah. And that, that really starts with leaders. Like you got to, you've got to role model that too. Right. And I think it's okay. And I think it's good. If you're a leader saying, you know, Hey everybody, I know we are going to meet tomorrow, have this important thing. I'm going to be joining this way because I woke up not feeling so great. And I really don't want to get anybody sick. Right. Just by doing that, I think you start to create the permission for others to do it for themselves, which is, which is very good. Yeah, so I guess time to recap, Ben. What did we talk about today? Yeah, so today on the podcast, we talk about this idea of going back to some sort of post-pandemic reality and organizational leadership, some things that uh, we think organizational leaders should be expecting and some things that they should be doing, some practices that should stay in place, what might change, and some things that leaders can do right now. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.